Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Amazon, but in a little bit of a different way. Uh, we often talk about Amazon uh, as it relates to competition in the market. And today, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about Amazon as a place that you can grow your audience and not just by listing your products there, but also as an advertising platform. And so I'm joined by Joseph uh, from the Perpetua team, uh, who has lots of great experience with um, Amazon's uh, display advertising and, and other advertising tools. And uh, Joseph, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, I'm Joseph from Perpetua. Uh, I lead our sales division here. Uh, and to tell you a little bit more about Perpetua, so we're an optimization and enablement tool for e-commerce advertisers. So we work with brands, media agencies, large sellers on Amazon's platform uh, to work with them to deliver an optimal advertising experience. Uh, so right now, today, we're focused on Amazon. We've expanded into Instacart as well. We're quickly expanding into additional platforms. And basically, our, our goal is to provide you very simple to use tools um, with high sophistication so that you can get the most out of your advertising on any e-commerce site. Cool. And you know, thinking immediately about Amazon and their marketplace, what are some of the, the general advertising opportunities? Because I know, obviously, if, if you have products listed there, that Amazon is very happy to take your money as a seller to promote those items and uh, otherwise to draw more attention to your listings there. But what's the general gist of it as a platform? Um, if I'm an e-commerce merchant interested in, in driving more um, more brand awareness or, or driving people to purchase directly uh, from me, whether from my Amazon listings or from my own e-commerce website? Yeah. So uh, if I were to kind of start off holistically, you can break down Amazon advertising into two main buckets. So your first bucket would be ads that are native to the shopping experience on Amazon. And so these are sponsored ads and sponsored ads primarily surface themselves in ways that they are part of the way that you shop on Amazon. So you search a keyword that's or a search term that's relevant for the product you're trying to find. You may see ads at the top of the page, middle of the page, page five. Uh, once you click on a listing, you might additionally see ads beside or below that listing. Um, and so these are all part of your shopping experience on Amazon. The other side is through Amazon's display network, which allows you to leverage all of the first party data that Amazon has on shopper behavior and behavior on Amazon's um, ever expanding uh, ways to, to work with you as a consumer like IMDB TV and Twitch and Prime Video. Um, and you can create audiences and target people across the web to either drive those audiences back to your Amazon listing or to any other site really if you wanna be driving them to your own Shopify or big commerce store or if you wanna be driving them to another page um, you can you can do that with Amazon's DSP, their demand side platform. Interesting. So, is pretty much everything in terms of ad, uh, Amazon advertising going through that DSP through the demand side platform, um, or is that one of several tools that that help to manage different types of ads? I know that they've been evolving 
through the years. Uh, I haven't actually seen it lately. Uh, so yeah, the, the two ones would be, I mean, all within Amazon's advertising network or Amazon's advertising portal, call it, uh, you have the opportunity for sponsored ads, which anybody can access. And those are the ones that are native to the shopping experience. And then Amazon's um, demand side platform, which would not be native to the shopping experience, which is not just for people who sell on Amazon. Um, it's it's pretty much open to any advertisers. And those are basically your two options, uh, mm-hmm. sponsored advertising and DSP advertising. So sort of one avenue to go through and I'll kind of equate it to Google where they've got you know, search results, they've got, um, you know, their display network for ad banners and other ads they're going to show uh, across uh, a network of, of third party sites. Um, and then you've got things like YouTube advertising and, and other things that they've got uh, additional <laughs> options for. So a lot under one roof. And what's the general billing model for these different types of ads? And especially, the ads that are going to drive people back to a Magento or BigCommerce or Shopify or WooCommerce or some kind of a uh, a private e-commerce site, not <laughs> uh, to an Amazon.com uh, page or, or something within an Amazon app. Yeah. So uh, on the DSP, it's a CPM billing model, um, different versus sponsored ad, sponsored ads, which is primarily CPC. So there's there's exceptions to both. But we can broadly say that on the DSP, it's CPM, cost per impression. And then on sponsored ads, it's CPC, cost per click on the ad. Interesting. Okay. So if you're trying to drive an immediate sale through Amazon's platform, they're tracking all those success measures and going at that by cost per click, it probably makes a lot of sense. uh, And that's why they're they're making that available. But if you're driving people outside of of, uh, Amazon, um, then you know, cost per thousand impressions or such is going to be the the overall bid strategy. So, when uh, when you engage in in that, um, is there uh, and this is getting a little specific, but is there kind of an an entry level that you think of for starting off in terms of budgets and bids to really drive some audience, drive some some metrics, some some data to analyze to see what what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there sort of that entryway? Because um, I know that with a lot of platforms, you know, if if you throw a few dollars in, <laughs> it's, you're really not giving yourself uh, enough of a data set to test with. You're not really learning enough. Um, and depending, like for instance, you know, uh, impressions and clicks and things in some platforms like LinkedIn are compared comparatively expensive in some cases. Obviously, it depends on what your uh, what your targeting parameters are. Um, you could say the same of Google. There are things that cost pennies, and then if if you want people searching for, I don't know, you know, for mortgage refinancing, you're gonna, pro- you know, you could be paying a lot of money per click. Uh, you you could spend a lot of money very fast. Yeah, um, I I would almost say that the the best place to start in even answering that intelligently is thinking about um, as an advertiser. What is your shopper, or if you're not necessarily selling selling a product, um, what what is the consumer journey? So thinking about the full funnel um, options of advertising, uh, sponsored ads are primarily bottom of funnel ads. So I think of it broadly as when you're running sponsored ads that are part of Amazon's native shopping experience, you're essentially casting a net and trying to capture those shoppers that are already on Amazon's platform looking to make a purchase. Um, with the DSP, it's more of throwing a spear. So you're building audiences on those um, ideal um, customers that you're trying to find, and then you're serving them ads broadly over, over the web. Um, the way, and this obviously makes sense in terms of the model of how they bill of cost per click versus 
cost per thousand impressions is that uh, you're going to have different success metrics for each of those. The higher you go up in the funnel, so if you're going over some higher brand building tactics, um, you're typically, A, going to need larger budgets because you're looking to reach a wider audiences, a wider audience rather. Um, and then at the same time, you're not going to be necessarily using the exact same metrics to measure, measure success. So the same way it wouldn't necessarily make sense if I were running a TV ad to immediately look five days later and say, okay, who bought my product for my TV ad? Um, you might look at uh, brand equity and brand health metrics. Um, and generally in that case, again, you're casting a wider net. Um, while, while your cost to reach an individual person is going to be less, you're going to be spending more money broadly. And so one of the things in terms of entry levels is that with Perpetua, when you know we work with uh, many clients on Amazon's DSP, our entry level is, is $10,000 a month. Um, Amazon's might commonly be $35,000 a month. That's definitely not to say it's always $35,000 a month. Mm -hmm. there's, there's exceptions. Um, 10,000 is definitely on the lower end in the market to get started. And that's really uh, not just because, hey, you know, we're trying to get bigger budgets out of people. It's all about, hey, if you're looking at the DSP, and you're trying to leverage it to actually um, achieve what it's designed for. If you're focused 100% just on ROAS, for example, and you're saying, hey, I'm only looking to immediately convert shoppers, your experience on the DSP is, is less likely to be fulfilling. Um, you're more likely to be frustrated by the results. You're more likely to um, be dissatisfied with your options for advertising. Um, just by nature, you're probably going to be focusing primarily on clicks, which is not even how you're going to be billed in the first place. And so the the minimum budgets and where we've come up with $10,000 is not uh, an arbitrary number. It's what's going to give our advertisers the best chance of success, what's going to give them a smooth budget throughout the month so we can spend that money effectively and not blow through it uh, immediately during the day. Um, and so, so that's our position on that. That's interesting. So you know, very tough to focus on direct immediate sales, people clicking and buying and in one session at that point, you've got more of an attribution question of, okay, like other types of display advertising and other similar campaign opportunities out there, you're building audience, you're building brand awareness and brand affinity in different ways, uh, you know, by, you know, being in people's minds while they're uh, on Amazon and, you know, while they're basically the equivalent of in the digital mall, they're, they're out there shopping. Uh, and, uh, and obviously there's going to be some level of click through, uh, but you know, they were specifically shopping on Amazon. So you might get them in a good moment, but, um, it, it's going to be hard to expect, uh, a, a very high immediate, um, ROI from that click. Uh, because they they weren't specifically searching or otherwise looking to come to your site, so I'd, I'd say very similar to other more traditional advertising. You know, when, whether it was TV or radio or, or you know newsprint or billboards or what have you, that people mm -hmm. see your your advertising, and over time, you know, they might have to see it a few times to have the impact that you're hoping for. Uh, it's not all about immediate ROI, um, but. Uh, you do the math and you track and, and you look for that lift and uh, you hope that, and that's the challenge in some of those old mm -hmm. mediums is, you know, can you get in front of the right audience? So I think in this case, some of the bigger question that I have, what is the, um, what are the parameters like when it comes to targeting? Because one of the reasons that I think that this is particularly interesting is because of all the juicy targeting data. I mean, Amazon knows everything 
about their mm-hmm. shoppers and, and then some. They, they know things about their mm-hmm. shoppers that their shoppers don't know about themselves. <laughs> um, so <laughs> exactly. is that a lot of the power of it? Is it being able to really serve up targeted ads to targeted user segments, mm-hmm. shop, you know, segments of shoppers? Mm-hmm. So there's a few things that uh, I would really call the power of, of Amazon's DSP. So uh, one of them being that first-party data is going to be more and more relevant for advertisers, uh, well-documented. I mean, I, I don't know how many articles are titled, something with death of the cookie inside of the title of the article. Um, and so first-party data is going to be increasingly important for, for advertisers. Really what differentiates any DSP is first-party data and inventory available. And so if you look at Amazon's, uh, their data is increasing in two primary ways. So one, uh, they collect shopper behavior data. So what products you're clicking on, what products you're buying, um, what the cycles are of those purchases, if it's a highly consumable product, how long it takes you to purchase over and over and over again. And so this is, um, like I said, shopping behavior data, and that's increasing because more people um, of course, this year or the, over the past year are shopping online. So they have an increased uh, shopper behavior data. The other side of it is that Amazon's web is increasing in terms of how they interact with you as a consumer. So if you are watching a stream on Twitch or you're watching Prime Video, if you're watching IMDB TV, um, they're collecting data on your behaviors uh, in those instances as well. And so they're increasing uh, the amount of data points that they're collecting to, to be able to advertise on. So that's the data side of it. And then the other side of it is the inventory portion. So what inventory is available uh, for me to serve my ad as an advertiser? And so a lot of the focus goes towards, you know, Amazon owned and operated sites. So how your ads appear right on amazon.com or sites like IMDB that, uh, that they own. Uh, but then increasingly as well, uh, kind of goes hand in hand with that data portion. Um, Prime Video increasing in, in prevalence, Twitch increasing in, in prevalence. Um, these are all now creating more opportunities for supply of those ads. So instead of just focusing primarily on Amazon.com for where your ad is going to be served, you can uh, broaden broaden that scope. And what's really exciting about a lot of that as well is that it's it's more and more opportunities for OTT ads, for video ads. I always say, you know, um, if, if you look at Facebook in the early days before video ads, it's kind of like nothing was a video ad until everything was a video ad. Hmm. Um, as soon as it could be, then everything was a video ad. Um, and frankly, if I had to predict, I'd say, I think Amazon might go in a similar direction. I, you know, we know that, uh, Americans and those in other parts of the world consume more and more video through digital means. And, uh, I can, I can see that really being important, um, for the, the overall strategy for this advertising platform, like most platforms, I think that there's just a lot of media consumed this way now. So it becomes a good way to get <laughs> into people's homes and to get in front of them in the right time at the right place. Uh, so, uh, and with good targeting data, um, you've been mentioning different inventory. Um, is everything that goes through Amazon's DSP an Amazon owned property or are there any, cause you know, when you go through Google or Bing or mm-hmm. others, you know, there are, uh, there are those, third-party networks that they have available of news sites and blogs and other sites where you can display ads. Yeah. So those third-party networks are also available through Amazon's DSP. Um, of course, what's going to differentiate Amazon from a from an inventory standpoint is is what they control. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Those, those third-party networks are also available to advertise through. 
Interesting. And does that mean it's also a good platform to potentially run some uh, remarketing campaigns through to, you know, to track um, some of the data in terms of who's clicking over to the site or interacting with certain things and to keep showing them ads in different places? Yeah, I mean, I think you uh, sometimes it can be overly simplified, but sometimes oversimplifying it gives you the best results is if you think about depending on the, the type of product you're going to sell. So um, I'll give two very, very different examples here is like, one, I sell a one time purchase, it's uh, high price point, um, maybe I might buy a new model of that product 10 years from now. Or on the flip side, I buy a highly consumable product, I don't know, toilet paper, laundry detergent, whatever it is. Um, you use retargeting as an example. The way that I'm going to retarget my shoppers um, is going to be very, very different in those two instances. Um, so for example, you might be focused primarily on remarketing. So targeting people who have already purchased your product if you're selling a highly consumable product versus obviously you wouldn't do that if you're selling a high price point product that, that's only going to be purchased once. And so a lot of that goes into the way that you're going to be building out your audiences and the actual uh, inventory where your ad is going to be most relevant. Um, and so if I'm selling that high price point product, it takes a while that I have to really push my shopper through the journey to, to get them to, to purchase. I need to understand how they behave. If they, you know, I'm not going to immediately send them an ad that's going to try and get them to convert. If my product costs $1,800 and they've never even heard of what its main benefit is versus if I'm selling a granola bar, that might make a little bit more sense given, given where I'm targeting them. So it all comes down to um, understanding your specific shopper's journey, understanding how you can take advantage of the different targeting options within Amazon's DSP, and, and then also making sure that you're taking into account where you're going to get the most bang for your buck from an inventory standpoint as well. And do some users bring some of their own audience, like um, lookalike audiences, uh, bringing in email lists or other data sets um, to try to target through this platform specifically? Yeah, like building lookalike audiences for um, email lists, for pixel lists, drives a lot of value. Um, what is very vague right now, but I think is is coming together a little bit more and more and more is uh, the Amazon Marketing Cloud. So AMC, which is essentially um, a cloud-based environment where you can, I guess to, to simplify it, you can better understand um, how your shopper interacts with your ads across both different ad units on Amazon, different ad networks on Amazon, so that you aren't just only thinking about it of, hey, okay, last touch attribution model, this shopper saw this ad and then purchased this product, I can actually connect the dots more to say, okay, they saw this ad at this time, and then a week later they saw this, and then they made this search, and then they clicked on this sponsored ad, so I can kind of put together um, those pieces. And then there's opportunities to also, for, for advertisers to add in their own data um, into that environment as well to, to just strengthen what they're learning about the shopper journey. What I would say right now is like, hey, details on the specifics of how that exactly comes together, probably not the best person to ask. At Perpetual, we're, we're experimenting a lot within our um, business intelligence and, and data strategy teams, um, which is really exciting. And, and I think that's one of the things that is definitely going to become more and more prominent for anyone who's a serious advertiser on Amazon. Yeah, you know, I'll admit I'm a few years out from physically managing anything uh, in terms of ads with Amazon, but I remember having to go through third parties like DoubleClick and what have you, because the, the tools there um, on their own weren't really going to do justice, um, that you really needed a third party. I've seen some, some interesting case studies from your team 
uh, cool video on, on, on your homepage, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, where, you know, I, I, and I think that that's part of the challenge is taking it from, you know, you mentioned 35,000 as, as an entry, um, and mm-hmm. trying to get to a point where, yeah, it may not be the first platform that someone's going to run display ads in, uh, but once you're more established and you're trying to, you know, focus on different targets and different markets and other things, um, seems like a, a great place to expand just logically um, based mm-hmm. on people being in a shopping mode based upon the available data sets and, and targeting. And, you know, aside from just the amount of money around how long do you typically recommend running a campaign in order to see if it's going to meet expectations or not? You know, I, I know mm-hmm. that data doesn't come in in a day and that typically um, neither does fine tuning that mm-hmm. on day one, you spin things up, but then you're looking at the winners and losers and you're adjusting around it in pretty much any of these campaigns. Uh, what, what type of a normal timeline do you recommend people uh, start with in order to manage expectation? Yeah. So I, I think, um, again, what it goes back to primarily is working with the advertiser to make sure that we've got an understanding of the shopper journey and that we are building timelines to evaluate performance and keep metrics to evaluate performance that match that. So uh, again, if my shopper journey um, is a three to four month timeline because it's a high purchase product, I'm not going to be evaluating campaigns after three weeks or four weeks and determining whether or not they work because that doesn't fit with how my shopper is going to learn and be educated on my product and then eventually purchase my product. On the flip side, again, if it's a highly consumable product, they may have a shorter window to find out exactly what's working. You know, if I know people per- repurchase my product every three weeks, let's say, or every six weeks, whatever it may be, I may be structuring campaigns and targeting that's based on people who purchased my product or a competitor's product that's similar uh, it, with that specific look back window. And so I can get a better understanding of performance um, in a shorter time frame. So it really depends on uh, what your objectives are. And then, like I said, hand in hand, it, uh, the key metrics that you're looking at have to match um, your strategic objective as well. Because, you know, top of funnel, again, you're not going to use ROAS to measure a top of funnel advertising campaign, um, just like you're not going to, uh, or similar to, you know, if you're focused on increasing the, the number of people that are, are purchasing your product, you might look at new to brand. Whereas you would never look at, at new to brand, obviously on, on retargeting. So there's there's a lot of uh, simple parts of that and more complex parts of that. But um, yeah, shopper journey is just uh, so so critical. Yeah, you know, look, in advertising, the proof's in the pudding. Either it's working or it doesn't. It's some or it's not at some point that this is very data driven. Mm-hmm. Um, you can either you know see lift in certain metrics at, at certain junctures or, or you don't. When you see a campaign fail, because I imagine that's the nature of it, that there this is a test and measure business uh, that, you know, as an agency, as a as a product, you know, you don't <laughs> stay afloat too long. If at some point you can't prove your value um, mm-hmm. and no one in this industry is looking for, you know, a three month or five month turnover in clients and uh, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. It doesn't, you know, and, and bad reviews and other things. And none of that works out well. Um, but what are, is there a common thread when you see these campaigns less successful? Does it have to do with, you know, with, let's say in, in the e-commerce world with the, the product or pricing or, 
or something having to do with with their site or something in particular? Is it uh, is there anything that you've seen where you know you at this point look at it and say yeah, that's probably not going to I don't know if this is a campaign that's mm-hmm. that's going to go well here. And I'll give you an mm-hmm. example. Um, I, I in my agency days, I used to run into at least a couple of times a year a book author that would come by and say, you know, build me a website and uh, let's start advertising my my book, which was let's say you know a hardcover that was going to retail for I don't know nineteen ninety five, and they had one product, and you know driving people to buy one book um, from. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and obviously the publisher made money, their agent made money, you know, that their margin on it was slim, you know. So if I had, you know, four dollars to work with to advertise to get someone to buy a book, not from Amazon, but from their website, like I, I would tell them go on a book tour, you know, go, mm-hmm. go work with your agent some more, go, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I got, I just, I, I know how to get you out there more. And yes, it's good to have a website to drive people to so they're aware of you and maybe you get booked for, you know, for more speaking engagements and other things, but I didn't have a, a good advertising mix that was going to drive them good ROI. Um, there wasn't going to be good ROAS from pretty much any campaign I, that I could come up with on, on the paid ad side. Um, have you run into some, any co- sort of similar, uh, circumstances or, um, yeah. or, or data sets? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, well, where we've seen, uh, failures are primarily based around um, unrealistic expectations. And so those show themselves or make themselves prevalent in a couple of different ways. One of them uh, we've already talked about a little bit is having unrealistic uh, or not using the correct metrics to measure the success of a campaign or to have an incorrect view as to when a campaign should start driving results and then making irrational decisions based on that, based on data that um, doesn't align with what you intended to be doing. So if you have the wrong idea of what metrics you should be looking at, if you're measuring a top of funnel campaign with ROAS, you're then going to look at that data. It's going to look disappointing to you. You're going to make tweaks and decisions on your campaigns that are not going to be in your best interest because there was a misalignment in your strategy and your objectives from the get-go. The other side of it is, and this is a lot more broad, is is the idea of, um, you know, if, if I've been running sponsored ads for a really long time on Amazon, now I'm saying, okay... I want to increase the audience I reach. And so now I'm going to start running DSP ads. Um, basically considering it to be a magic pill for, for lack of a better word to say, Hey, okay. You know, I, I feel like I've maxed out on sponsored ads. Now I'm just going to immediately get the exact same return by starting to run DSP ads. And, um, you know, a very common thread that, you know, we can, we can hear from people is they'll do a simple calculation to say, okay, here's what I can afford in terms of a customer acquisition cost based on my product margins and my, my product cycles and say, if I can hit this number, I'll spend all day long. It's such a, such a common thing that we hear, um, which is great. That, that is a great um, data point for us to know in terms of what we need to, to make the customer's campaigns profitable and what they're aiming towards. Um, but to just come into it and say, okay, here's the number. If we, can, if we can hit this as a customer acquisition cost, we'll just continue to spend. And then no additional strategy or insights behind that. And so DSP, um, is, it's not a magic pill. It's, it's, it's not just, all right, let's get it up and running. And then I'll immediately get that six ROAS that I expect or 10 or 15 ROAS, whatever it may be. Um, and so uh, it's primarily about expectations and then also ensuring that we are going in there with um, a specific um, outcome that we're expecting to achieve and a strategy to get to that outcome, not just an outcome based on 
here's the profitability number I need to hit. And like, I don't know anything other than that. Um, let's just start the ads because that's, that can be a, a recipe for, for failure, frankly. That's interesting. I, and I, I would think though, that that's probably a very similar experience, you know, whether you're running ads in Google's display network or you're running ads on Quora or Reddit mm -hmm. or, you know, I mean, pick your, your platform, yeah. right? That anytime that you're involved in these types of campaigns that are more passive, uh, you know, that someone wasn't actively searching for something, they're seeing an ad and you're hoping that, um, that they're in the right frame of mind and that it starts mm -hmm. them on the right journey. Uh, I, the, this is the challenge. It's not uh, about the one well, click sale. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think about it and I, uh, in the last week or so, I, I, this, this comes more and more to the front of my mind when I think about um, Walmart rebranding uh, Walmart Media Group to Walmart Connect. And now they're partnering with the Trade Desk to have their own DSP as well. Um, and just reading a lot of what people think are going to be the, the biggest benefits of that and thinking about how it would be relative, relevant for our advertisers as well is, um, you know, take that example where someone comes in, they, they, they know exactly what their customer acquisition cost needs to be to be profitable or what ROAS, let's say they need to be to be profitable, say, hit a four ROAS and I'll just spend, I'll never stop spending, I'll keep spending. Um, like think of it as an example. And the reason I, I use Walmart Connect is that they they really want to be able to connect the dots between an in-store experience and and their uh, display network. If if I run an ad that gets me uh, 1,000 people to purchase and I have no idea what it was that made people purchase, uh, that, that's one scenario. And it's unfortunate that I don't know exactly what happens. If I now run uh, an ad again where a thousand people purchase, but now I get a lot of data to find out exactly why people purchase and I get a ROAS number attached to it, does that make my business more profitable or not? And the reality is, is that you're, you still got a thousand purchases. It's very impactful to have that data to know exactly why someone purchased or how that shopper experience or how that shopper. Yeah, purchased I mean, if if you're slicing and dicing your marketing spend and you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out what's actually working, um, you know, it's very hard to keep throwing money into the wind and, you know, just throwing everything at the wall and, and you don't even you can't even see what's sticking. Uh, no. that, that's very, very difficult. So absolutely. You, you want to be able to have some attribution uh, of where some of the lift is coming from. But at the same want, time. Yeah. Yeah. You want to have that attribution, but then you don't want to use that attribution and say, oh, my God, we, we, we're, we're at a five row ass, like spend millions of dollars when uh, you might have been there previously. You just didn't necessarily connect the dots. And that's why I think it's very dangerous when you don't have a specific strategy coming into it. You're only focused on a ROAS number. Um, you might just be essentially subsidizing your organic purchases in that case. And you have to come in uh, being aware of that and with that strategy and outcome set in mind. Well, and, you know, it's equally to me interesting that let's say that you can get someone, you know, five times ROAS, you know, that you, you can do some uh, some great things. But, you know, and they say, well, you know, let's do more. Let's, you know, turn up the faucet. It might be that with the targeting parameters that are really working for them, that's as much as they can get. That if you can up the spend and go after more audience, but the audience might not be as good and that additional audience might have a much lower return on ad spend. So, you know, the sometimes it's it's the finesse that gets lost in the conversation when you just try to think about everything as as a raw number and not as a larger campaign and not mm -hmm. as part of a larger strategy. Exactly. Um, yep. Yeah. So, and I, I'm going to pivot for a second here because you spend a lot of time 
in the marketplace space in general. Um, any predictions or anything interesting for the future of Amazon's marketplace? Or I'll open it up even further. You know, other marketplaces that seem to be you know growing more and opening more. You talked a little bit about Walmart. I know that uh, they're they're not alone in seeing growth in that space as e-commerce really. Uh, was just skyrocketing mm-hmm. further than than anyone, of course, predicted at the beginning of 2020, uh, mm-hmm. and has continued to. Yeah, well, I shared uh, one prediction earlier that I think uh, video is going to continue continue to be um, of increasing importance on all types of ads that are run on Amazon. So I think we'll continue to see that over the next year plus uh, video ads. Um, showing themselves more in, in both the native shopping experience and, and Amazon's DSP. Um, I, I've shared as well that it's all about uh, unique data and unique inventory when you're thinking about what's going to add the most value to anyone who's investing through your DSP. Um, and with that is going to, I think, come more and more um, e-commerce platforms having their own um, native platforms for uh, advertising. So if you think about Walmart, we've already talked about them a little bit. Um, Instacart's ad business is, is continuing to grow and you'll see that become more sophisticated with more advertising options. Um, Target, uh, a lot of the other grocery chains like Kroger in the US, um, other platforms, Wayfair for furniture, home improvements done so well. I think you're going to continue to see uh, retailers and online retailers build out their own um, advertising networks. And you know we've already talked about the importance of first party data and specifically um, with all that death of the cookie stuff, as I, as I talked about, uh, the importance of that first-party data um, will only fuel that even further to say, hey, we want to have our own, um, you know, our own DSP, let's say, or our own um, self-serve mm-hmm. uh, search advertising platform within our website. And it'll be interesting to see how the partnerships play out in that um, in terms of who partners with who to be able to, to stand those things up. We said Walmart with the trade desk. Uh, We've, we've got Amazon on its own right now, and, and it'll be interesting to see how everybody else uh, goes about that themselves. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think at some point, a lot of brands and merchants, um, not necessarily talking about the Fortune 500 companies out there, but you can manage just so many things at once. You can split your attention and your dollars and, and your team in just so many directions at once. And um, so I think that that at some point becomes the challenge is, you know, it, where do where do we pull from? Where do we uh, where do we really put our effort? Um, I, I'm with you though that I think that for a lot of these um, these larger companies um, that have all these eyeballs on their websites and apps and such, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. Google is not a search company; they're a data company, uh, and the same can be said of so many others, right? You know that um, you know Facebook is. Uh, you know, is, is not specifically a social network as many of us see it. It's a data company. That's what they sell. <laughs> they don't sell social old, networking to you and I. I don't pay them for that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's so, that old adage, if you don't pay, you're the product. That's right. So it makes sense that more and more of these companies are going to take that approach. Um, I think, as with everything else, that there'll be stronger winners uh, in, in some categories than others that uh, we'll just have to wait and see for some of it. But any uh, before we wrap up, final advice for merchants that want to drive more traffic, uh, more engagement with their own e-commerce sites? Because I know that part of the challenge here that uh, e-commerce uh, businesses face is that when the shopper is engaged with Amazon, 
they don't really have much of a relationship with the brand, mm-hmm. with the seller. Uh, and the same can be said of a lot of the these other marketplaces and such that uh, you lose out on some of the ability to continue to market to that user, um, to build more rapport there, to have that stronger customer lifetime value because you know, on a marketplace like Amazon, the sale is generally going to go to whoever lists something the cheapest or, you know, things get knocked off, things, you know, you can't, I mean, obviously, you know, big brands don't usually have mm-hmm. as many problems with it, but I've seen plenty of SMB and mid-market players get kicked off of Amazon, even if it's short term, it's painful. Uh, mm-hmm. You have much less control. Um, any uh, yeah. any last thoughts on uh, driving the uh, the relationships with the the customers to with the shoppers back to your own sites and, and driving long term success that way. Yeah, well, I think I mean you can always focus primarily on the tests that you run and then the ad uh, units that you invest in to make sure that they um, primarily promote and drive that traffic to your own site, so you can maintain that relationship. The piece of advice that I would say more so uh, it might go in the opposite direction of, of the question to a certain extent is. Um, I think you should be very careful about not allowing your customer to buy your product where they want to shop. Um, And so you can add a ton of value and many brands, specifically luxury brands, um, have been very successful uh, by having a walled garden and having one place uh, to buy their product. Um, Classic Peloton. I was going to buy a Peloton five months ago. I'd probably be getting it right now. I haven't bought it yet. We'll see. But uh, for the most part, you want to make your product available for where your shopper wants to shop. Um, that, I mean, 50 years ago, you would go to seven different stores to, to buy all the things that you needed for your household. Now you probably go to one place or you just go to Amazon or you whatever it may be. You, you make your shopping trip on Instacart. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of potentially unknown um, I don't want to say unknown harm, but obviously the amount of uh, incremental value you can gain by having that direct customer relationship is huge. There's also a lot of incremental value you can have by making sure that your product is available and most prominent wherever your shopper wants to shop. And so um, definitively saying, hey, we're not going to invest in any other retail channels or any other e-commerce platforms um, may make sense for your brand, but it might not. And I think it's just a question that you need to take very seriously. Um, and you know, your brand presence and brand affinity all, all goes into that. But I think it's something that sometimes gets overlooked and assumed I need this, I need this customer relationship. I'm not going to be spending money on any other platforms where you might help yourself by making your product more available to where your customers want to shop. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't think that there are a lot of really great financial planners or others out there that are going to tell you to put all of your your eggs in one basket. <laughs> um, <laughs> if if give or take fifty percent of, of shoppers are going right to Amazon, right? I mean, you know, they're searching there for things. If you're not there, uh, you're certainly at at risk that their money is being spent elsewhere. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Joseph, this was a, a pleasure. I appreciate you coming on uh, today. Any uh, any parting words for the audience? <laughs> no parting words for the audience. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, it's it's a topic that's just constantly, constantly evolving. And so uh, anytime I have the opportunity to share my thoughts, thoughts of the team at Perpetua, um, I, I think we'll continue to see more and more come together with both Amazon's DSP, other platforms, um, and their DSPs in the in the coming months and years, and it'll be exciting. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today for our audience. Thanks as always for tuning in, 
And we look forward to bringing you more great content like this here on the JetRails podcast really soon. Happy sailing out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.